Well, good morning. Uh, we are in the middle of our uh, summer teaching series officially. We've kind of hit two weeks and we had a Father's Day service and then we're going to go on for a couple of weeks and then I'm going to be gone for Boston uh, and then we'll come back for a couple. It's kind of two weeks on, two weeks off kind of a deal. It's kind of an interesting uh, schedule for our summer, but uh, we are officially into uh, our thought of wandering the desert. What do we do when we feel like our spiritual lives are dry? How do we navigate life in those circumstances? And if you remember the first time we talked about that, we talked about how our first instance sometimes is to want to go back to our old life. Remember how the Israelites were kind of taking our example from them. They wanted to go back to Egypt and they kind of romanticized Egypt. Remember that whole topic about we set around pots of meat that we could eat and all this kind of stuff and, and how sometimes we want to go back to our old life when our spiritual life gets dry. And then two weeks ago, uh, we talked about how we replace God. Ultimately, that's what we're doing through all of this is we're replacing God. And we looked at the golden calf incident and kind of what they did with that and how that all played out. And so this week, we're kind of on into um, Numbers and the book of, uh, the book of Numbers. And, and we kind of hit this interesting story uh, in Numbers chapter 11. So if you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, if we read this story, most of us have read this maybe in the past. And, and we kind of just shake our heads and go, oh, those Israelites are at it again. And we just kind of move on. But I believe... When we stop and look at this, there's two incredible aspects of the story. It has multiple different um, engaging points with our own life. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to work through it. We're going we're to walk through Scripture. There's going to be a lot of Scripture on the screen. Let me give you that um, kind of warning at the beginning. I, I, I didn't want anybody to be lost. So if you have a Bible, it's going to be easier to follow in your Bible. But I've got it up here in case you don't. Um, and, and we're just going to see it as it unfolds. Here's what this passage of Scripture does. Uh, Numbers chapter 11, the whole chapter, does something that's called, it's a literary term called intercalation. And I know that doesn't mean anything to anybody, but here's what it does. It's like a sandwich. It's like an A-B-A sandwich. And the A is the bread and the B is the meat, okay? And Jesus does this. You read the New Testament, Jesus does this all the time. He'll tell a part of the story and he'll tell something that seems kind of unrelated. But then he'll tell the last of the story and it kind of all goes together. And you kind of sit back and go, oh man, that was really cool. He kind of taught us two things at once. Well, this is what Numbers chapter 11 does. And so I'll, I'll try to kind of keep you guys up to date on this is A, and this is B, and then we're back to A again. But when we get to the end of this, we're going to go, wow, what a great, uh, what a great kind of comprehensive statement how God worked all this out. So here's where we're at, okay? Um, we have officially passed the golden calf, right? We've, we've had our golden calf incident. That's what happened a couple of weeks ago. If you're reading in Exodus, remember I told you that uh, Exodus, I think thir Exodus 13 all the way to Numbers 11, uh, all happens at Mount Sinai. Okay, so we are about to leave. We are leaving Mount Sinai finally. Uh, and remember that that time period lasted almost a year. It lasted about 11 months. And so we've had our golden calf incident. Moses goes back up on the mountain and he gets his second copy of the law. They actually set up the tabernacle for the first time, which is a really cool thing. And he gives them all kinds of rules and stuff about what to do with that. And then if you're reading chronologically, you'll go from the end of Exodus to the beginning of Numbers. I'm not telling you to skip Leviticus when you read the Bible. I'm just saying if you're reading it when, in the story, then go from the end of Exodus and go to the beginning of Numbers. In the beginning of Numbers, there's a couple of different things that happen. And the, the first thing is the reason why the book is called Numbers is because there's a census that's taken. Numbers is actually bookended at the beginning and at the end with the census. They count how many Israelites are in the desert, okay? And so they count them at the beginning, 
and then they wander their 40 years, and they count them at the end. Uh, and what's interesting is the number is about the same uh, from the beginning to the end, even though a whole generation of people have died off, okay? And so we have the census, and then we have camp assignments. If you read through the first couple of chapters of Numbers, this is really important. Uh, it's kind of interesting the way, whenever, remember, we, we know that when the cloud descends on the tabernacle, everybody stops, and they camp. And when the cloud of God is lifted, everybody packs up, and they start walking some more. Well, when they, when they stop, there's specific assignments of how each tribe is supposed to camp in camp, which is kind of really neat. If you think about the tabernacle being in the middle, then they kind of surround the tabernacle in specific order, okay? And so it gives you those orders in the first couple of chapters of Numbers. And then there's instructions about the Nazarite vow, which you guys kind of maybe ring some bell with that. And then in, in Numbers, the first couple of chapters of Numbers, the really cool thing happens, they celebrate Passover for the first time. Remember, they celebrated that as they were uh, leaving. You know, obviously the angel of death and all that kind of stuff happened when they left Egypt and, you know, got to walk for a little while to get to Sinai. And they get to Sinai, they stay for 11 months, and now they're moving. They're about to head out, and they celebrate it again. So it tells you it's been almost a year. And so they celebrate Passover for the first time, and then they pack up and they head out. When the trumpet blows and the cloud lifts, they got to get out. But they also have to leave in specific order. And it's really an interesting uh, passage of Scripture about why they have to do all that kind of stuff. And so in Numbers chapter 10, we see the trumpet blow and we see people pack up and they're starting to head out, okay? And so we are on the move. And the Bible tells us that they move from the desert of Sinai to the, to the desert or the wilderness of Paran, okay? And so Paran, if you're, if you're kind of visual like I am, think about the Sinai Peninsula. We had that picture up on screen last week. I don't have it on here this week. But it's kind of the, the north east corner of the Sinai Peninsula, okay? So they've moved from, uh, from Sinai uh, to up into the northeast corner of that. It's about three days journey from where they were to where they stopped. And you've got to imagine, if you're an Israelite and you just packed up everything and loaded your donkey and loaded your car and got your animals and you walk for three days and you stop and you're like, golly, how long is this going to take, right? Well, we find out it takes a lot longer than they even imagine. But we're just going just a little bit. And I think that's important because what we're about to read kind of, kind of plays into the reason why that little short trip may have caused a little bit of the issue that has started. So if you've got your Bibles, Numbers chapter 11, let's start with verse 1. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So that place was called Tabara, because the fire from the Lord had burned among them. Now that seems like a kind of an isolated incident, but it really sets the stage for what's about to happen next. The people are on edge, right? They're a little frustrated. They're beginning to be pretty bold in their complaints, like they're not just mummering under their breath. They're, they're vocalizing their frustration. And it says in the, the God could hear them in the hearing of the Lord. So that means they're kind of getting a little bit more brazen. And the Hebrew, the original Hebrew, reads that first little part like this. And the people were as complainers, evil in the ears of the Lord. And that's really cool, okay? So you can kind of see how this is kind of setting the stage. So God gets frustrated and he sends fire, which seems a little... Just honest seems a little extreme, right? People start mouthing, and God's like, just blows them all up, right? But it happens on the outskirts of camp. And I want you to remember that because it's going to be important in just a minute, okay? So let's look what happens next. Verse 4. The rabble with them 
began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, quote, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate at Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Did you notice what happened at the very beginning of that? There's, there's a distinction in the verbiage that's super important. The rabble with them began to crave other food, and the Israelites started wailing. Now, here's, uh, here's one of the things I read this week in one of the commentaries called the rabble, the promiscuous assemblage. Oh, that's a really cool verbiage. The promiscuous, here's who the rabble was. There's three options of who these people could be. One is that they are just people who, who they kind of collected on the way. When the Israelites left Egypt and they were walking through the desert to get to Mount Sinai, the other people saw them and were like, what are these people doing? They just kind of followed along with them. The second idea is that these are, could be, I'm going to say are, they could be, Israelite children that were born of an Israelite mom but an Egyptian dad. And so when they left Egypt, they obviously left with their mom. And if you know anything about Jewish culture, if you're not 100% Jewish, then you're not Jewish at all. And so this was a big, I say Jewish, Hebrew. This is a big deal that these kids were half Hebrew, half Egyptian. So this could be the rabble. And the third question that could it be, and I, I believe this is probably, uh, I think it's probably a little bit of all of them, but the third thought is that whenever the, the, the Hebrews left Egypt, there were other people who were enslaved by the Egyptians. There were other people that they had dominated and conquered and, and brought back home, and they were slaves too. And so when they saw the Israelites leaving, they were like, hey, this is our chance. We're getting out too. And they packed up their stuff, and they just went with them. And nobody stopped them because who's going to stop them, right? And so they just are other slaves that had just said, listen, we're hitching our wagon to you guys and we're going with y'all. Any, either way, from either three of those, I think it's probably a little bit of all of them, but they're not true Hebrews. Does that make sense? They're not true Israelites. And guess where the rabble would have camped? On the outskirts of the camp. Remember, that's where the fire started. And most people say that the reason why the fire spread through the outskirts is because that's where the complaining started. They didn't start with the the Israelites. It started with the rabble, with the extra people, the people who were not Hebrews. But they they influenced the Israelites. And man, that's really, really important. We could probably camp here for a long time, but I don't have time to do that. They, They allowed people who were not to influence who they were. And man, we could put that on all different levels. We could talk about people who are not in the family to influence the family. People who are not in your friend group who influence your friend group. People who are not in your marriage who influence your marriage. We could talk about that for a long time, but we got other stuff to do, okay? So they're out here and they're, they're craving, it says, the scripture says that the rabble craved other food. And what did they ask for? Meat, right? They want to meet. And this, more specifically, that word meat really means fish. Because the next line says, we remember the fish that we ate in Egypt. And I think this is hilarious because where are they? They're in the middle of a desert. 
And they're asking for fish. This is like the most opposite thing in the world, right? That's like being in the Antarctic and wanting a warm, cozy fire. This is just not going to happen, right? And so they're in the middle of the desert asking for fish. And it brings us to our very first point. This is really cool. Number one, when we're in our spiritual desert, we begin to focus on our physical desires and miss the miracles in front of us. We begin to focus on our physical desires wants and desires and miss the miracles in front of us. They said, we want meat. And all we've got is this man, right? All we've got is this incredible thing that God has provided for all of us to eat on a daily basis. All we have is a miracle and we want fish. It sounds like South Arkansas on a Friday night. We just want to go eat some fried fish, right? They're just, they're just hungry for something specific. Now, here's what's great. And I've got this, uh, I think I've got this, what's that next screen say, Mark? Hit that button. Okay, so since we're in numbers, I've got some numbers for you. And I've got this in two different places. So this is really, to me, uh, you guys know that I was a banker before I was a preacher. And this is really interesting to me. So here's the numbers. The census at the beginning of numbers, they take, and it's 603,550 men over the age of 20. And so when they count at the beginning of numbers, you've got to remember, they're just counting the quote-unquote grown men, okay? So this doesn't include women and kids, anybody underneath 20. This is all together, we're guessing, over 2 million people strong, okay? And so this, we have this incredible 603,550 uh, men. Now, when manna came in the desert the first time, God gave them a lot of instruction. You guys remember that from Exodus. Remember, go out and gather uh, what you need for the day, but don't gather too much because it's going to spoil. But on the, the day before the Sabbath, gather twice as much and it won't spoil overnight, okay? And so uh, they're all supposed to go out and get one omer of manna per person per day. One omer of manna is seven pints. If you got seven pints by two million people, that would fill up 46 railroad boxcars full of manna every day. Every day. 46 railroad boxcars full of manna. So this makes you think, okay, if we're feeding them, well, we also have to give them something to drink. So here's our next set of numbers. If you give one gallon of water per person per day and two gallons of water per just livestock. Now, we're not talking about sheep and camels or whatever animals that they had. We're just talking about just uh, bulls and and heifers and livestock. Two gallons of water for just them per day, that's 10.8 million gallons of water today, and that'll fill up 1,080 railroad tanker trucks full of water per day. And they're just wanting some fish. We got all this stuff, we have all this provision, we have all this food and water that we need every day, and they just are wanting meat, and they're so unsatisfied. Look at this next screen. This is pretty cool. All in all, I did some math. All in all, here's the, here's the numbers. 1,286 railroad boxcars full of food and water just to feed them every day. 1,286 boxcars full of food and water. That's, that's enough to, to feed them, to water them and their livestock and the extra animals. We threw in some extra numbers for that. Here's what that is. That's a train nine and a half miles long. Isn't that cool? Nine and a half miles long. Of just boxcars, don't, 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 after another. After the, if you had to sit at the little railroad crossing, uh, Lord, let me just say this. If the, whoever drives the, the potlatch train had to go for nine and a half miles long at 1,286 railroad boxcars past that little railroad uh, crossing down the street from our house and he blows the horn the whole time, 
It would take like seven days for him to pass that because he goes, I could jog faster than him, right? That's just what happens, okay? But nine and a half miles long. And they're, all they're saying is, oh, we don't want all that. We don't want all this provision that God's given us. We want fish. We want meat to eat. They're so focused on their wants, they missed their provision. And I know most of us sit around here and go, we won't do that. And we don't even know what manna is, right? We don't even know that. I wouldn't even recognize it if I saw it. But here's what I think we do. I think we do things like this. God, if, if, you'll, just, if you'll just get me back on my feet financially, or God, if you'll just let my schedule ease up, or, or God, if you'll heal so-and-so, then I'll, I'll start going back to church or I'll start living like I'm supposed to or I'll, I'll get back to living right. God, if you'll just give me what I want, then I'll do what you want. God, if you'll just give me what I deserve, then I'll give you what you want. What kind of God do you think that we serve? That we could make some sort of deal with him like that when every day... We are missing major miracles in front of us with the desire to want something else. And you say, well, man, I don't have a manna. I don't have my manna. I don't have this major miracle in my life every day. Well, I think you probably do. Do you have a job? Do you have a wife? Do you have a husband? Do you have kids? Do you have a house? Do you have clothes? Do you have clean water to drink? Do you have food in the refrigerator? Do you have a job that gives you money with a promise of maybe giving you money in two weeks? Do you drive a car? You have friends that love and care for you. Listen, they may not be the best house on the neighborhood. You may not have the nicest car among your friend group. Your kids may not be the most well-behaved children in, in the preschool, right? But does that make them any less of a miracle? We get so focused on what we think that we want. We begin to demand our physical appeasement. And we miss the miracles that God's placed in our everyday life we're no better than the israelites we have this incredible provision and we say we want something else we want more so verses nine uh or seven through nine and in, in numbers 11 just kind of give a quick description about what manna is what it tastes like how they used it how they cooked with it that kind of a thing and then we pick back up in verse 10, remember I told you this was an ABA, okay? So this part we just got through finished talking about, we want meat, we want, we want fish, we want something, uh, we want meat, uh, is part A. And then we're going to, well, we're moving into part B. Here's what happens. This is great. Verse 10, Moses heard the people of every family wailing, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why would you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land that you promised on oath to give their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep asking me, give us meat. I can't carry these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. Listen, put me to death right now if I've found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin this is Moses kill me now I'm tired of this I don't want to do this anymore this is Moses 
The man who met face to face with God, who God himself says in a, in a later passage where, where Miriam and Aaron, who are kind of rising up and getting a little frustrated that God's only speaking to Moses, Moses comes to them and says, listen, like nobody else, Moses is unlike anybody else. Everybody else speaks from dreams and visions, but I meet with Moses face to face as one man speaks to another. This is Moses who's done all the incredible miracles of the plagues, who has been first-hand witness of all that stuff and be able to be the intercessor between God and the Pharaoh and God and the Israelites and all this incredible stuff. This is Moses, and he's, kill me now. I don't want to do this anymore. This leads us to our second point when we're in our spiritual desert. We allow our emotions to get the best of us. Someone once said that emotions are great passengers, but horrible pilots. Some of y'all need to write that down. Emotions are great passengers, but horrible pilots. Because when our emotions take over, they take us to places that we never, ever wanted to go. Listen, Moses is tired. He's at the end of his rope. He's stressed. And the last thing he needs is two million crybabies at the entrance of their tents, right? He's just worn out. And we read that and we go, well, I don't blame him. We've been there, right? You've been there? Of course you have. Moms, let's just talk about moms for a second. When you can't get five minutes of silence, right? And it's summertime and your kids are out of school and you're just like, Lord, Jesus, help me not to kill my kids today. When, when every 10 minutes you get another 10-minute story about Fortnite, hello, holy cow, amen. Let's just talk about it for a minute. Forget about trying to go to the bathroom by yourself. That doesn't happen. There's little fingers under the door. Hey, Mom, I can see you, right? Because it never stops. Moses stressed dads. Dads, when you come home and you're just like exhausted and you've been like at work all day and you've had all this different stress, I'm not saying that moms haven't had all that same kind of stress because the Lord knows they have and they've probably been worse than us. But your kids come out and they're like, we want to help you in the shop, Dad. And you're like, okay, great. When I was a kid, I remember, I remember as a kid, my dad giving me five nails and a hammer and a two-by-four. And he'd say, nail them in, son. And I'd nail them in, take me 10 minutes to get them nailed in. And he'd say, flip it over and nail them out. And I would do that for hours. I was helping dad. I totally understand now, right? Because now when your kids come out and they want to help you, you turn around, the next thing you see is they're riding the belt sander across the floor like, ooh, this is fun, dad. Right? Because it, it, you're just like, oh, I just want to get this done. This is where Moses is. He's stressed out. He's at the end of the day, kill me now. I hope you don't get that way with your kids. Kill me now, God. But it, you understand where he's coming from. When work and ball and family and finances and hospital bills and taxes and everything piles up and the only Jesus, I got in my notes, the only Jesus on the horizon is the Jesus you're about to lose on the next person that says your name, right? You're at the end of your rope and you're tired and you're stressed. This is where Moses is. Emotions begin to take the lead and they lead us in places we never intended go look what God does in verse 16 this is really great the Lord said to Moses bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you I will come down and speak with you there I will take this of the spirit that is on you and I will put the spirit on them and they will help you carry the burden of these people so that you will not have to carry it alone what did God do he totally ignored Moses's kill me now statement. He, he totally comes in 
He addresses the issue and he provides relief. Why? Because that's what God does. He, he honors our emotions. Yes, I believe that wholeheartedly. But he doesn't give in to them. He doesn't allow our emotions to dictate his sovereignty. He addresses the issue and he meets the need. Some of you today, that's all you need to hear. That God can come in and he can address the issue and he can meet the need because you are in the middle of an emotional crisis. And you're, and you're giving in to things that you never have gone, gone there. You're, you're letting your mind and your emotions lead and you're, 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 you're just totally on a level that you never thought you'd be on and you just need God to come in and address the issue and meet the need. And that's what God does. Now, so that's the B part. We're going to come back to the A. This is the ABA sandwich. Here's the A. Verse 18. God's still speaking. He says, tell the people, consecrate yourself in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you should underline this, you will eat it. That's an incredible statement. You will not eat it for just one day or for two days or five or ten or twenty days, but you will eat it for a whole month until it comes out your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? You can just hear the music change, right? They are just, I want meat, I want this. And God says, okay, I'm going to give you meat and you're going to eat it. Dun, 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 right? Just this incredible ominous like comes down. And he says, you're not going to eat it just for a day or two. You're going to eat it for a whole month until you hate it. Until it's coming out of your nose. And it's just, you just don't want anything else to do with it. Over the next couple of verses, Moses tries to interject some like rational thinking. God, okay, hang on just a second. We've got 600,000 men here. We've got about 200, 2 million people. How in the world are we ever going to feed? Where are we going to get that much meat? We couldn't slaughter all the, the, the cattle in the world would not give them enough meat for a month. Like, that's not going to happen. And, and God responds this really cool verse. I think it's in verse uh, 37. Is that right? It's, it's this really... 23. It's a really cool verse. In verse 23, it says, Is the Lord's arm too short? It's really awesome. And he kind of puts Moses back in his place. And Moses is like, Okay. So, verse 31. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It brought them down all around camp about three feet above the ground. As far as the day's walk in any direction, all that day and night and all the next day, people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than ten omers. Then they spread them out all around the camp. I'm going to give you some perspective on this because we're going to go back to some numbers because I think this is really cool. Remember we said that the Israelites were camped in the, in the desert of Paran, okay? Uh, the desert of Paran, I told you, was in the northeast corner of the Sinai Peninsula. It's about 50 miles inland from the Mediterranean Sea, about 50 miles inland from the Dead Sea. So we're kind of in the middle of that northeast corner. And quail, uh, if you don't know quail, quail live um, relatively by the sea. They don't, they don't fly very far. Uh, and when they do fly and they get tired... They, they fall out of the sky. They just dive bomb out of the sky. Uh, they just fly until they can't fly anymore, and they just, they just nosedive. So when the Bible says that he brought them down 
around the camp, that's exactly what happened. These birds are being blown in, and they just start dive bombing in around the camp, which is an awesome story. Now, it says that in a day's walk all the way around the camp, there were quail. Now, a day's walk is about 15 miles in any direction around the camp. And so let's get some perspective. To find the area of a circle, I've got the, if you don't remember your uh, eighth grade math class, I don't remember that. I had to look this up. To find the area of a circle, you take the radius of square it and multiply it by pi, okay? And that's the symbol for pi, not blueberry, blackberry, apple, peach, okay? Um, so you take your radius squared, multiply pi pi, that's 700 square miles. 700 square miles, three feet deep of quail. When God blew in all this, he blew in an incredible amount of quail. Each Israelite had to gather, said that they gathered 10 omers. Now, this is not the same. This is H-O-M-E-R-S, not the same as manna, O-M-E-R-S, okay? And so this is uh, one's dry, one's liquid measurement. So if you read that, don't get confused by the two. But they had to go out and gather 10 omers of quail. If you do that, by the, just by the 600,000 men, that's six million omers of quail. An omer is about 200 liters, okay? And so if, this is great, if each Israelite gathered enough average size quail that it said that they, they, they gathered in, then God rained down over 105 million quail in one day. 105 million quail. God says, you're going to eat meat until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. He says, you want meat to eat, I'm going to give it to you in an incredible fashion. This leads us to point number three. When we're in our spiritual desert, we focus our desires, our physical desires, and miss miracles. We allow our emotions to get the best of us. But when we're in our spiritual desert, guess what? God is still God. He is still very much in control. When we don't understand something, he has full and complete understanding. Just because it doesn't go the way that we want it doesn't mean that he's not working his will out in our life. Just because you can't see the bigger picture doesn't mean that he's not making a masterpiece. Just because we lack faith and can't see and don't believe God is still God. And we get in our spiritual desert and we think, oh, all this stuff is happening to me and woe me. God must not care. God must not know what's going on. God doesn't understand. Yes, he does. Just because you're spiritually dry doesn't mean that he is. God is still God. And he, he proved it here with 105 million quail. Israelites gathered and they began to eat. And they began to eat and they began to eat. Here's my last thought. We're going to be done. This is really verse 33. But while the meat was still in between their teeth, and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore, the place was called Kibroth Hata'avana, because they had buried the people who had craved other food. This means within the month, 
God punished their unbelief. We don't know if this was immediate. We don't know if this was on day 20 or day 14. We know that while they were still eating the quail, that God comes in and he, he's so frustrated with their lack of faith. He sends this plague. Now, here's what's great about this. It says the place was called Kibroth Hata Avana, okay? Kibroth Hata Avana means this, the graves of craving. Graves of craving. So my question today as we wrap up this whole thought and this crazy God is still God moment. When the Israelites are hearing complaints from other people, when Moses says, kill me now, and when the Israelites come back and say, we just want meat, and God says, you're going to get it. God is still God. And then there's this graves of craving. And I, man, as I read it, I just thought, okay, God, this is, this is it. This is the hook of all we're talking about this morning. What cravings of ours, what physical desires, what physical appeasement, what emotional give-in are we chasing after us that is leading us nowhere but the grave? We think that, oh, I'm going to chase after this and it's going to give me life, it's going to give me fulfillment, it's going to make me happy, it's going to do all the things that I want it to do. And in every sense of the word, it's the opposite of life, it is death, it is the grave, and it's where we are running toward because our cravings for our own selfish desires. I think a lot of us have been in a Kibroth Hata Havana. We've been in this area of, of death and unfulfillment and unhappiness and we've craved things, maybe it's Maybe it's the things that are outside our circle. Maybe we're just living a life that we're dreaming for something else and we're not really living the life that God's given us. Maybe, maybe we're allowing outside influence to influence the inside us. And these cravings and these, these just, God, you give me what I want and I'll give you what, I, what you want kind of mentality so opposite of what Scripture tells us is reality. What, what is it you're chasing? The Israelites, we're going to see over the coming weeks, the rest of the summer, just continue to have to be shown the same lesson over and over and over and over again. And you know what? We're really not any different. We do the same thing. We begin to crave, we begin to want, we begin to be pulled away from what God has for us. And it leads us to a grave. And so my question to you this morning as we close is this. What kind of deals are you trying to make? What kind of outside influence are you allowing? And what kind of craving are you... Are you chasing out? Do you think that's really going to fulfill you? What is it? Identify it. And don't be pulled into the grave that it is. God, all God wanted from the Israelites is just to be faithful. Just to be faithful in His provision. Every morning, 
every day they had plenty to eat, plenty to drink. They had the presence of God descended on the tabernacle. They could see. And time after time, they wanted something else. They were never satisfied with what God had given them. So what is it, church? What is it in our own heart? What is it in our own life? What is it in our own circumstance that is pulling our focus from what God has already given us and making us want something different? It's up to you to figure that out, but it's up to God to eradicate. Hey, this is Matt Overall, the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.